and welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. So, Kelsey, I'm excited because come this weekend, I'm going to see you I in know. person. It's so exciting. I get to come stay at your house. Yes. So, very exciting. Yes. And listeners, we are not recording together while she's here. <laughs> no, we're not. We have other things. We have bigger fish to fry than record. <laughs> we sure do. We have an action-packed weekend of fun and visiting and some other exciting things that we're doing for the podcast. Yeah. And we'll share those with you when they're done. But today, we are here to continue our holiday excursion in the month of December. And so with that in mind, before we jump into the book today, I have a question for you, Kelsey. Ask away. So Kelsey, what is your experience in general with Hanukkah? My Hanukkah experience is such that I know about it, and I actually (laughs) feel like... There was some level of talking about it in school, like it was always addressed. Like mm-hmm. I learned the dra- you know, the dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Like I learned that. Mm-hmm. But my main <laughs> experience and most recent experience has always been with food. So I remember I had a friend growing up and his family is Jewish. And so he celebrated Hanukkah and we went over there and his mom like fed me like Hanukkah food that she made, especially for Hanukkah. And I was like, yeah, food. And then growing up and post-college, I had some Jewish friends. And then I had a couple of friends who were roommates at one point. They make their latkes differently. So they would Uh have a latke party and then you would go to one latke party. And then the next guy was like, well, okay, but... Tomorrow is my locker party, and we make them different, so y'all have to come to this one. So, <laughs> but like when you go there, it's not just the friends going around making locker. It's it's the whole family, you know. It's their family, it's their friends. We're just being included in it, and Aww. like you get to see how their different families do it differently. So, quite fun. That is awesome and sounds like a great time and I would so be happy to help judge that competition. (laughs) (laughs) So my experience with Hanukkah, um, I'm Jewish. You made me latkes once. I did. That's so crazy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I am Jewish, but I didn't grow up practicing any sort of Jewish observances. What happened around the holidays was that my dad, who was my Jewish parent, would put up one strand of blue lights in the front window every year, and he called those our Hanukkah lights. And he was super proud of being Jewish, but we just never did any sort of observances. So flash forward in my life, and somehow I end up living in Israel, and (laughs) uh, for the first time in my life, I really just felt like I was accepted as a Jewish person because I was always making excuses for how I'm half Jewish, but not really Jewish because my dad is Jewish, and you have to have your mom be Jewish for Mm -hmm. you to be Jewish. And so for the first time in my life, I really felt like I was accepted for being Jewish, and I also, I didn't have to qualify anything, like... Mm people were just like, yeah, like, we'll teach you if these are the things you want to learn and the observances you want to do. Like, it was just, it just felt like family and it was really nice. So my experience with Hanukkah is really only a few years old. It's something, my husband's also Jewish and it's something, it's a tradition that we want to continue practicing. So we celebrate in the very lightest of sense. Uh, We have a Hanukkah and we light the candles and we say the blessings because it's fun for me to have some Hebrew things to say. 
away. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. So I find myself really fascinated with being an adult and learning something new and feeling connected to an observance because that's where your heritage is. So it's exciting for me. And while I have some experience, it's not much. So listeners at home, if you have much experience, feel free if we get some things wrong or misspeak in any way, we want to hear from you. Send us an email and let us know, and we will definitely correct it in an um actually segment. Yes, go for it. As I said, my experience with Hanukkah is mostly food-based, so I am totally going into this blind. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that because I have a few history facts for us, but the book we are talking about today is called A Highlander for Hanukkah, and it's by Lori Ann Bailey, and it's in the anthology Eight Kisses, which is eight Hanukkah stories, and this anthology came out just this year. I do have some history facts this week about Hanukkah in general for Mm -hmm. those who aren't familiar with Hanukkah. And I do want to say, even though I've kind of already caveated it, again, I'm not a religious scholar. I am not someone who grew up practicing this. I'm just a Googler here. So if I get anything wrong, let me know. So Hanukkah is an eight-day Jewish holiday which commemorates the rededication of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Maccabean Revolt in the second century B. And the word Hanukkah comes from the root chet, nun, and kaf, which means to dedicate, to inaugurate, to consecrate, and to educate. And so chet, nun, and kaf are three Hebrew letters. And Hanukkah is a holiday that celebrates the victory of the Maccabees, and it also celebrates the miracle that happened during this time, where just a day's supply of oil allowed the menorah in the rededicated temple in Jerusalem Hmm. to remain lit for eight days. So that's why Hanukkah is eight nights. And that's a very simplistic explanation, but I think it's a good place to start. And I also discovered something interesting recently that there actually is a distinction between the word menorah and the word Hanukkah. Now, they're very similar, but they actually have specific meanings. And in today's world, I think we use menorah pretty interchangeably. I also see Hanukkah menorah, but there actually is something called a Hanukkah and something called a menorah. And so I'm going to explain that distinction to you right now. So a Hanukkah is a type of candelabra and it has nine Mm -hmm. candle holders. So You've got Mm -hmm. your eight candles, right, that are in a line, and there's a ninth candle out of place of that line. So it's at a slightly different height or in a different position of the Hanukkah. So they can come in all shapes and sizes, but as long as there are eight candles at the same height in line with each other and a ninth candle misaligned, that's your Hanukkah because you have your eight candles representing the eight nights and then your shamish candle, which is the helper candle. Uh. And you light that one first and then you light the candles from mm-hmm. right to left the same way that you write in Hebrew from right to left. So the other, the menorah, is a symbolic object, and it consists of seven branches of candle holders and doesn't have the shamash out of place, Mm -hmm. the shamash, pardon me, out of place. So the menorah is one of the oldest symbols in Judaism. The high priests used to light the menorah in the temple every evening, and so that is kind of the difference, right? Different number of candles and different 
placement and different uses. Mm-hmm. The Hanukkah is really used only for Hanukkah. So I hmm. think that that's also an interesting little tidbit. I think this is fascinating. Yeah. And then we get to a little bit more modern Hanukkah traditions. And so kind of in another allusion to the Hanukkah miracle, traditional Hanukkah foods are fried in oil, Uh right? So you've got, of course, the latkes. Those are potato pancakes. And there's, like Kelsey alluded to, tons of different recipes out there. Everybody's got their favorite. Do you use parsnips in it? Do you not use parsnips in it? (laughs) But the other thing that I didn't really know about growing up in California and also not practicing any Jewish holidays are sufganiot. And those are jam-filled donuts. And so living in Israel, like everybody got really excited for sufganiot. And like coming up to Hanukkah, like I just remember this one guy in my office being like, I'm going on a sufganiot run. And then like two (laughs) hours later, I'm going on a sufganiot run. And I was like, okay. And basically it's just jelly donuts. Like, you know, what we expect, um, a little bit smaller in size, but again, they're fried in oil. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And The other thing is that in some ways, I read that the transformation of Hanukkah into the Jewish Christmas is linked to the growth of the North American Jewry within its unique movement. So Mm. kind of in the 1920s, there were a lot of Jews immigrating to the States, and they were increasingly adding gift giving to their Hanukkah celebrations. And that's how some people started referring to it as the Jewish Christmas. Mm. And the elevation of Hanukkah to a major holiday was partly the result of Jews like kind of putting themselves to a North American society that was overwhelmingly Christian in population and symbols. So Mm. that's some people's perspective on on that. And um, I just thought that was really interesting to think about how did Hanukkah kind of come from just this, uh, maybe not the most important of, of Jewish holidays to being one of the most recognized Jewish holidays in the world. That's very interesting. I love all your fun facts. And now I really want latkes. (laughs) <laughs> I can't make any promises this weekend. We have a lot to do. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not requiring them. I just want them now. All right. We'll work on it. <laughs> so today our main tropes are interfaith romance, which is something we really haven't had a look at yet. No. Not at all. Not even between Catholics and Christians. Our male hero is very disinterested in marriage for his own personal reasons. For about half the book, and then he changes his mind pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, he he is really against marriage, but that doesn't last very long. No. And then uh, there is a whirlwind romance. This book takes place on the eight nights of Hanukkah, <laughs> and it doesn't take eight nights for them to get together. So there you go. <laughs> and there is a mystery afoot. All right. The mystery afoot is what brings them together. That is true, I suppose. Um, (laughs) All right. So one thing that I really liked is that the author had an author's note at the beginning of this book. So before we get into the synopsis, I'm going to read that to you guys because I think it sets the tone to our story and gives another history fact. So the author's note reads... History is rife with religious tensions. In 1290, Jews were expelled from England, although allowed to return in 1655 because Cromwell wanted Jewish merchants to transfer their trade routes from Holland to London, they were not allowed to become citizens. The London Society for Promoting Christianity Amongst the Jews officially started in 1809, but was active before that time period. 
Some of the historical documents regarding the group's misunderstanding of the Jewish faith are appalling. Jews were afforded more freedom in Scotland. On the converse, for hundreds of years throughout Great Britain, Catholics were forced to hide aspects of their beliefs. The strifes between Catholics and Protestants even reached into the monarchy and led to revolts, wars, and the loss of many lives. I hope you enjoy A Highlander for Hanukkah, an interfaith tale of hope, love, and acceptance. Pretty good. I like the start. And with that, Kelsey, shall we get into it? We shall. We begin on the first night of Hanukkah, and at the resolution of a gunshot, we meet our hero and heroine. Shoshana Messinger has just been saved from the shot that has gone awry by the brawny Highlander James MacDonald, who also happens to be her father's (laughs) accountant. The brawniest accountant you've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, yes. So she was entering her father's shop, which is a shoe and clothing emporium, when she was attacked by someone and James happened to be around and he got rid of the assailant, but they enter the shop afterwards and they're kind of assessing themselves and she puts her family's menorah outside on its stand because it's tradition and they're friendly to put it outside the shop, not inside. And... While James wasn't shot, the assailant did get a punch in, so he has a cut. So she's like, please come upstairs. Let me take care of you. And when they enter the store, her father comes bursting in because he's heard the shot and the commotion. And Shoshana proceeds to fill him in as she tends James's wound upstairs in their apartment. So... The man had tried to rob them of their money. They knew that. And they did not recognize him. But luckily, Bronny James, the accountant, had been there to tackle him. And I like how she just immediately refers to him as James, not Mr. McDonald, which I just found interesting for the period of this book. But that's neither here nor there. That was just interesting on my part. That is for later. <laughs> yes. And Shoshana invites James to stay for dinner, saying they've got plenty, but he doesn't want to intrude. And is kind of like, no, 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 you've had a trauma. I don't want to mess up evening. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. But Shoshana insists, and even her father agrees that he should come the next night for dinner then. We'll make a We'll make a plan in advance then. We won't try to just spring dinner on you tonight. And so he agrees to come to dinner the following night. After he leaves, Shoshana and her father light the Hanukkah candles and recite the blessings. As she lit the wicks, she added a small silent prayer of thanks that James had been close at hand when the burglar had appeared. A small miracle on the first night of Hanukkah. And Shoshana does the blessing in English, which in English is, Blessed are you, our Lord God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. And in Hebrew, that is Baruch Ata Arunai Elocheinu Melecha Olam Asher Kirishanu Bemitzvotav Vetzivanu Lehalikner Chanukah. So I thought that was interesting that she chose to put it in English versus the Hebrew transliteration, because I think at that time it seems very likely that Jewish people would be saying it in Hebrew or Yiddish. But again, this is the first book about a Jewish person I've read in the Regency, so I have no idea. Anyhow, I just wanted to share that because I think it's really interesting. Yes, and maybe she just wanted to have the prayer in a way that someone like myself could understand because we don't speak Hebrew, and then she wouldn't have to put the translation in there. She could just 
have it in there. And I think she wanted the words to kind of come through. Absolutely. I, but I love Hebrew prayers. They sound beautiful. And I certainly, normally we don't talk about this till the end, I know, but I certainly don't begrudge her choice. I just thought it was, you know, something I was excited to see that the the Hanukkah prayers were in there. I thought that was interesting. Uh, even just a small snippet of something different. And so I just thought a lot about it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. As we return to our story, though, James returns home and he is tingling from Shoshana's touch on his tiny little cut. <laughs> and he feels incredibly lucky that he was passing by their shop when he was on his way to retrieve the horse, just because there has been an increasing number of burglaries and murders in their small town, including another client of his. And he feels like the man, as he was fighting him, seemed familiar, but he just couldn't place him. But the next day, troubled by the events and his fascination with Shoshana, he finds himself wandering into the Messinger's shop to see her. He has also brought her a gift some Scottish shortbread to thank you for tending his wee wound. (laughs) And Shoshana is touched, but she saves it for dessert after their meal later. And James confirms again that Shoshana doesn't mind having another mouth to feed and his inner dialogue reveals that he had to raise his sisters and food was always scarce so he doesn't want to impose upon somebody else but again Shoshana reiterates that she would very much like him to join them so James agrees and reminds her to please be on the lookout for her safety yes and now we have reached the second night of Hanukkah And Shoshana is rushing to make sure the meal is ready, but she's thinking about James. And James has done business with her father for a few years now. And she's wondering if he is open to understanding her customs and cultures because she's very excited to share those with him and is very interested to understand his tolerance. And this time in history, as the author pointed out, there was a lot of English laws aimed at trying to change their religion and convert Jews to Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. So she's very interested knowing that he's Catholic and she is just interested because Catholic is still a branch of Christianity. So she's not sure where he falls as far as the influencing other people's religions. And her thoughts are just so conflicted at this point because seeing James makes her flush, but she knows that quote, a family was the last thing she could have with a man who was not the same religion as her. She would be foolish to focus too intently on this unavailable man. But James joins Shoshana and her father, David, for the lighting of the candles and the blessing, and he's very respectful. Mm -hmm. And she even puts in that he should see it when it's all lit up because he mentions how pretty it looks. So they share the meal together, and Shoshana gets to introduce him to some of the foods of her heritage, which she's talking about as a cheese pancake, which she's like, I hear people are making them with potatoes now. So there you go. (laughs) It's an early form of latke. And that leads James to reminisce about his mother's salmon recipe, which he offers to bring by someday, kind of setting some future interactions and the sharing of traditions. (laughs) I imagine that... (laughs) Scottish salmon travels well. (laughs) Uh, Not, anyhow. I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's a smoked salmon. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) So after dinner, the trio is just settling down to enjoy the shortbread that James brought when a banging downstairs startles them all. And her father is sure it's just a late customer, but Shoshana's heart beats a little bit faster after having a gun pointed at her direction the day before. Fair, fair. So... 
David leaves to attend the person banging, which leaves Shoshana and James alone to get to know each other a little bit better. And they really just talk a bit more about their family. So as they kind of had already started, she really enjoys the shortbread. She makes a point to say it's lovely and she's quite enthralled with it. But then again, having had shortbread, it is quite delicious. Mm-hmm. And David returns to say it must have been a child or a drunkard because no one was at the door. So the evening comes to an end and Jame takes his leave while also trying to find a way to see Shoshana again because there's some sparks of brewing. And as he's leaving, David thanks James for coming, saying, quote, It was nice to see Shoshana smile. She hadn't had much of a reason to since coming to Edinburgh. I like her smile, he said before he could censor the words. David grinned, and James couldn't help but think that the man might be encouraging a relationship with his daughter. Hmm. And then we jump to the third night of Hanukkah. And James is leaving town for the day, but he's drawn over to the Messinger's shop almost as if a beacon drives him there. And it's just a lovely light seeing the Hanukkah shining outside the shop. And so he paused to admire it as he continues his way home. But he doesn't stop in this time around. So that evening, Shoshana and her father are startled awake by banging on the shop doors. And once again, when they go to investigate, there's no one there. So they return to their beds, but neither sleeps well since this is the second time and nothing's really happening And the next morning, her father receives an urgent message that one of his suppliers has had a shipment badly damaged, and he needs to immediately go sort it out and see what he's willing to accept and what he's not. So he must leave Shoshana for a few days, and Shoshana is now faced with some nights alone with all the craziness, which is crazy for a father to do. I mean, I get it, but I think it's crazy. Yeah. But we arrive at the fourth night of Hanukkah, and with it comes a familiar face in their shop as Shoshana is closing. It is James, and he has come to check on her at her father's request. So he didn't leave, like, completely with nothing. He he apparently is a matchmaker. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Seems like it. And so he has asked James to check in on Shoshana. And so Shoshana invites James to stay for dinner, and this time James accepts without any qualms. After all, he just has an empty house to return to. And And so before Shoshana can stop herself, the words are out of her mouth. She says, why are you not married? She asks. And he replies, I never wanted a wife. His eyes focused on her, then shifted away as he finished his statement. Before, he looked puzzled. So so James is having some thoughts and... Shoshana lights the candles as he watches respectfully, and then they go upstairs. And she is just conflicted because while he seems respectful of her customs and she is attracted to him, she still feels that he is just not an option for her to marry. Quote, Her stomach churned as she imagined her own children being forced to attend services of another religion as her family had been. So they have their unchaperoned dinner together while they're both starting to have thoughts. And they talk about respective histories and families before Shoshana asks him the question that's really been on her mind, which is, is why James is not deterred to be working for a Jewish man? And 
James, she finds, is really quite tolerant. He understands what it's like to have your beliefs and feel ostracized and, and have your rituals outlawed. He talks about in Scotland how the Catholics have had certain rights be taken away. Mass was outlawed for a while, and they're still not allowed to celebrate certain holidays. So there is some sort of like religious understanding in the sense of not being allowed to practice your faith as you wish you could. So Shoshana is delighted to hear that he believes everyone should be able to practice their beliefs, but knows that being tolerant of others in general is very far away from raising a family with different beliefs. And she is sure, absolutely sure, that he would want his wife and children to emulate his own beliefs. So as James makes to leave at the end of their meal, Shoshana makes an outrageous proposal out of left field. She says, quote, you can stay. Her gaze softened and she looked unsure. The blood in his veins heated. My father would let you use his bed, she said. So, I mean, it really came out of left field. They were just talking about life, and all of a sudden she's like, you should stay. Yeah. But uh, he somehow immediately accepts this idea as a good one, because after all, wouldn't David be happy that someone is watching over his daughter? Which, I mean, that's a fair point, but... I don't think that's really what's motivating him. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, I get it was probably just a matter of like, she's been shaken. And the idea of having someone else in the house instead of being by herself the first night her father is gone, I get Mm -hmm. just like being like, just stay. Yeah, of course, there are there are forces driving this. But uh, narratively, it was a bit abrupt. And as James falls asleep and he fights temptation, he imagines Shoshana snuggled beneath her own blankets. For the first time in years, he was under a roof with another person, and he was comforted by her nearness. She was safe. So James has a bit of resentment towards other people since he had to take care of his sisters when he was younger, and this tends to be a common theme with him. He's just like, he likes his personal space and not having to worry about anybody else. So the next morning, he awakens before Shoshana and decides he needs to wake her up so that she can lock the door behind him when he leaves. So he enters her room without permission and wakes her, but she doesn't seem to mind. And so he just basically says, I need you to lock the door because I want to leave, but I didn't want to leave the door unlocked because of all the things that have been happening. And so she walks him down and he pivots to say goodbye and they kind of bump into each other. And now that they're physically touching and in close proximity, they kiss each other and then they break away and he leaves. But it's like a pretty good kiss. Like, I don't know. We don't know her virginal status, but it was like already like, let's get the tongues involved. Like, let's keep going. So it definitely was like smoosh kiss. And she doesn't seem to mind or be shocked by any of it. So interesting. True. And then as is the case in this book, we don't really get any daytime. It is now the fifth night of Hanukkah. (laughs) And Shoshana is hoping to see James again, of course, even though there is no reason for him to return this evening, but she can't help herself. She is drawn to the thought of him and she does want to kiss him again. And of course, she's in luck because James returns. Though, he invites her to take a ride with him if she'd be interested. So although she's attracted to him and she's still trying to convince herself that James, one, wouldn't want to marry her and two, isn't a suitable match for her, she agrees to go. They ride off double on his horse to an undisclosed, quote, surprise location out of the city. And so she asks him where they are going and he insists it's a surprise. And... Shoshana, rather than like be worried at all that this man is just taking her somewhere where nobody else knows where she's going in in the cover of darkness, uh, just 
isn't worried at all. She, in fact, is, quote, curious now, but she wasn't even sure she wanted to arrive at their destination. The contentment enveloping her was magical. So luckily, he hasn't taken her away to murder her. He <laughs> he has actually taken her to his cottage, where he has also procured dinner for them as well. So they eat, and he notices how natural it feels to have Shoshana in his house, and he has a sense of pride at being able to show her his home. He's very proud of his home, and then he takes Shoshana outside and makes a bed under the stars. Not for them to do anything with, it's just for comfort purposes. And they sit and, like, gaze at the stars. They do stargazing, because she had mentioned how she hasn't seen the stars in such a long time because she's been in cities, and cities are not convenient places to look at stars. Yeah. And Shoshana falls asleep outside, and rather than wake her up, James takes her inside to sleep and puts her in his bed, mm -hmm. but, like... Make sure to create like a blanket barrier between them. So they're just like he she's under one blanket and he's under a different one. So they're not under it together. But like he couldn't put her in the spare bedroom because he just wanted her near. Was there even a spare bedroom? Yes. He mentions how he couldn't put her in. the. He didn't want to put her in the spare bedroom. Oh, OK. There was wow. one. Oof. It was a weird scene. And I kind of <laughs> was like, I think my note on that was like. I can't decide if this is creepy or not. <laughs> oh, I got real creep vibes. I mean, I was creeped out from the moment that like, okay, sorry, that's for later. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, James wakes up to Shoshana, who is having no issues whatsoever with this whole situation at all, because she is nope. making herself at home by making them breakfast as if this was her home and was a totally normal occurrence. So she admits she slept well, but she must get back to the shop, of course. And they eat their breakfast and head back together. And when they arrive, they arrive to the site of a robbery. Oh, no. So it was a good thing Shoshana wasn't home last night, because it looks like someone has broken into the door and rifled through the office, although it does not look like they tried to go upstairs at all. And nothing seems to have been taken. Mm -hmm. But definitely a very surprising thing to come home to. Yes. And so after they clean the shop up, we get to evening of the sixth night of Hanukkah. And luckily, her grandmother's menorah, which had been outside while um, had been knocked over, was undamaged. When the sun sets, Shoshana starts to feel unsettled and is missing James because now she's just totally used to his presence because it's been, you know, five nights of seeing him. Actually, she didn't even see him on the second night. It's been four nights of seeing him. <laughs> and... Settling into a chair, she watched the door as she remembered the kiss she and James had shared this morning and the events of the previous evening. He was everything she'd ever dreamed a man could be, considerate, attentive, and generous. If only he were Jewish. But still, their embrace had reached into her bones and told her he was what she needed. Her life wouldn't be complete without him in it. As she touched her lips, her body sprang to life with the desire to be in his arms, to be loved by James. And when he does arrive, they embrace. And he says something kind of perfect for her. And he says it with a little bit of a Scottish inflection here, which I'm going to take out in my retelling of it. But he says, the menorah looks lovely. I'm glad you had your faith to keep you company until I could arrive. I would have been here sooner, but I couldn't get away. It was the perfect thing to say. His words were an acknowledgement that her religion was something to be respected and that he cared that she had her beliefs to lean on. And with that wondrous, perfect thing to say, Shoshana can't help but kiss him. And she also can't help but ask him if he ever were to take a wife, 
would she have to be the same religion as him? Oh, yeah. She just jumps into that question. Yes. Like, kiss. Okay. Hey, could could you marry a Jewish lady? <laughs> yeah, basically. And James says his wife doesn't have to be the same religion as him. And then she follows it up with uh, the nice one of, you want kids? <laughs> Very uh, forthright, this this lady. And so James had mm-hmm. never thought about children. He'd spent so long taking care of his sisters, and he really didn't want that responsibility. And so Shoshana, like, immediately has a woe is me moment and immediately misinterprets his reply and thanks him for his help and asks him to leave so she can nurse her broken heart. While she, oh, yes. while she wants him, she feels like their differences are too great. But of course, she has jumped to conclusions and misunderstood James, who was just struggling with what these like very serious questions she just like sprung on him. And so he's kind of thinking through them because his thought process has changed just from even a few days ago, where even a few days ago, he wouldn't have considered taking a wife. But now he's considering that. So then on top of that, now he needs to consider kids And he even says to her, if I asked, would you be willing to be my wife? And she replies that she would like that, but they need to discuss the kids and how they're going to raise them, which very modern. I think that's absolutely appropriate. I agree. I think now was the time to ask that question. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean, I guess she opened up the conversation. So she wants to know even more so, like, could they raise them with her beliefs if they had children? And he replies very progressively with yes, as long as they can also know his religion and choose which one they'd like to practice when they're older. And so she kisses him and James asks her again to marry him for real this time. And she says yes. Yeah. And then they go upstairs and we have encounter number one. Now that they have agreed to be married at the Clothes are off. Clothes come off. (laughs) Like, we just jumped. Like, there was literally no, like, leading up to it. It was just like, and we say yes, and we kiss, and then we go to bed. They didn't even have dinner. They literally just went straight to her bedroom. I think they might eat afterwards. I can't remember. But, I mean, hey, I guess if that's what you got on your mind, go for it. So, they, yeah, we'll talk more about the encounter later. But at the end, everything ends up being, quote, Amazing. Mm-hmm. And we return to our story again on the seventh night of Hanukkah, which is also the start of Shabbat. And I thought that was really interesting that the author decided to kind of have um, have a little bit of the Shabbat traditions as well in there. I think that's interesting. And so Shabbat is that sundown on Friday night into sundown on Saturday night of every week. And there are a few rituals and traditions that are involved with, depending on your level of, of practice of Judaism, uh, there are different traditions that people do for Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And so James joins Shoshana in the Kiddush and other Shabbat rituals with Bahala and washing the hands. And he mentions that he has to work on the Sabbath. Will that bother her? And she said she doesn't mind as long as he is respectful of the obligations of her customs. Mm-hmm. And they spend the rest of the evening discussing their future and part the next morning with a kiss. Yep, that's it. <laughs> that's night seven. And finally, we have arrived at the eighth night of Hanukkah. Ooh. But as Shoshana, she's waiting for James, and as she goes to light the Hanukkah, something heavy crashes into her back, and a hand swipes over her face, 
and she doesn't know who her attacker is, but he smells very heavily of spirits and sweats, and he shoves her inside and demands to know where her father is, and he starts holding her at gunpoint. She recognizes him as the previous man who Mm -hmm. held a gun to her, and he asks for the books, and when she says they're not here, he's like, okay, well, then I'll take the money. And so she tries to say that she can take him to her father and he can get all that, but he doesn't take the bait. He just insists that she get the money. So she takes him upstairs because she's no dummy and she knows that she can't beat a gun Mm -hmm. in this fight. So she goes upstairs and she offers him a bottle of rum while she's retrieving the money in the hopes that it'll like give her A, a little time to think and B, kind of maybe pull him off his game a little bit. And so she's in her father's room getting the money and also searching for something to use as a weapon. And meanwhile, James arrives and he realizes something is amiss because he sees that the menorah is not lit. So he stealthily creeps up the stairs and he overhears the robber and Shoshana. And as he peers into the room, he realizes, by Jove, he does know who this man is. It's a very weak connection that he couldn't remember earlier, but he did mention briefly, but (laughs) it doesn't really matter. But the robber's motivation is that he borrowed some money from Messinger, most likely, and he'd come to erase the debt the only way he could afford to with threats, intimidation, violence, and perhaps even murder. Since another client of his, who was also a moneylender, ended up murdered as well as his whole family. So we know this guy means business. Mm hmm. And the villain catches sight of James, and then they both reach for the gun, which has been left on the table, and they fight, and Lan yells a punch, and eventually the guy yells, I yield. Unfortunately, Shoshana runs to make sure James is okay, and that allows the robber to pick up the gun. And so then he threatens to shoot James if Shoshana doesn't go back and get that money, damn it. Woo! So she goes back to her father's room, but in the process, she grabs the empty rum bottle and, like, throws it across the room. So then he's turning to the shattering glass because his mind, he was fixed on James then. So then the glass shatters and then she grabs a pot of boiling water or a boiling something and throws it on him. And then in his yelling and screaming and pain, he drops the gun. And so James gets it and then basically tells Shoshana to get some twine because this dude is no longer a threat. And they take him to the authorities, never to be heard from again. He, The villain shall get his justice. Yes. So the traumatized couple returns to Shoshana's house, and they have a tearful recap of their evening together, which leads them to profess their seven-day love for one another. And <laughs> they were just about to retire upstairs when James realizes that the menorah still needs to be lit. And it reads... Wait, he stopped and spun her around to face him. What? You are forgetting something. She tried to remember, but honestly, all that mattered was that he was here with her. The menorah. I need to see all the wicks lit. I want to celebrate your people's miracle and my own. And what miracle is that? She smiled. Finding you. Ah. And then it ends. It sure does. (laughs) Uh, But we have a lot to talk about, don't we? We do. Absolutely. So shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall.
today I want to tell you all about a really fun event that's happening next year. So on May 2nd in San Diego is the second annual Love and Devotion author event. So what is the Love and Devotion author event? Well, if you come, you can join over 60 romance authors and cover models for a fun-filled day of book signing, discovering new authors, raffles, and more. So you can buy tickets. They are on sale now, and it does include an option for a VIP ticket, which has an extra hour of author access before the event starts, a VIP swag bag full of cool stuff, and lunch with the authors and models. Plus, there are also some great Christmas special packages available right now. So if you've got a friend or you want to treat yourself... It's a great time to pick up a ticket. And tickets range from $15 to $60, so there are options for all types of budgets. And the icing on the cake is that I'm going to be there. So (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be, but yay, Zoe. (laughs) So if you are attending, let me know because I would love to do a meetup afterwards and get drinks and talk romance. So to find out more and to get your tickets, head on over to bit.ly devotion event, which we will also put in our show notes. There are also lots of new shows on the Frolic Podcast Network, shows like The Mermaid Podcast, This Lesbian Shit is Intense, and Deadline City. To learn more about these awesome podcasts and other great shows on our network, head on over to frolic.media slash podcasts. And if you've got a book recommendation, we would love to hear from you. And this week, we have a little bit of a special ask as well. If you've got a book you're really looking forward to in 2020, we want to hear about it because we've got a special episode planned to kick off our year. So if you've got a 2020 historical romance that you can't wait for, let us know. You can let us know at romancepod at gmail.com. And again, that's romancepod at gmail.com. That's our email address. And you can also visit our website, romancepod.com, if you'd like to see any of our blog posts. And you can also sign up for our mailing list. We are also on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest now at T as in Tom, N as in Nancy Strumpets. And you can also search us on YouTube and we're on Twitter at the first handle. (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere you maybe want to be. So check us out. And finally, rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us anywhere you download podcasts. And we so appreciate your support. So I have a lot of thoughts. I have them too. I thought this book had some elements that weren't terrible. I thought that overall, though, the whole thing felt rushed. That's interesting because I I don't know if it felt rushed to me. I mean, it's a, it's a short book for sure. But I felt like it just felt very insubstantial. And I think we're basically saying the same thing just in different ways or basically mm-hmm. the some of the symptoms that the book had, you know, we, we disliked for – similar reasons, but just like a little bit different dimensions of them. So yes, I, I, yeah, I think, I think you're right on the nose there actually. Well, and I see your first note is no chemistry and a hundred percent. Yeah. No chemistry. There's none. They talk about each other and she's like, "Mm, so I'm attracted. And he's like, "Mm, she smiles pretty, but 
like you don't feel that attraction like you do in a lot of these other books. Like it's not, it's just not there. Yeah. I think the way that the writing was in this book is there was a lot of explanation. Mm -hmm. So the plot relied on the writer explaining the character's thoughts very basically, rather than kind of giving us a feeling. I think I've talked about it a little bit in some of our other books that we've that we've discussed where, you know, the author isn't giving the reader the benefit of the doubt to understand these things, right? Where they're telling you things rather than giving you things to piece together versus like how Courtney Milan does it so geniusly in the novella we discussed, right? Where, you know, you get the point of view of the of the Duke and you get the point of view of the heroine and you get the point of view of the hero and they're all different points of view. And because you get all these points of view, you as the reader realize kind of what the right path is, right? Yes. I actually did write that note down as like we talk about how he said that perfect line about um, how the he menorah. was ignored. Yeah. When he, well, he was acknowledging her religion and he has accepted her, but like literally right afterwards, the author explains why it's the perfect thing to say. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. And so it just felt very simplistic. So that was kind of a bummer. And I think that's also why the chemistry didn't feel like it was there because you've, it feels like when you have to tell like, oh, they're in love. Like, really, look, look, they're in love. Like, look, mm-hmm. look at how much they want each other. It doesn't feel as natural when it's just explained rather than set up. Yes, agreed. And we jumped around in our, you know, discussion about how we skipped to the different nights of Hanukkah, which is how the book was set up. And I think that could be done in a way to kind of further the plot along since this is considered like this is meant to be a novella. It's meant to be a short story. Mm-hmm. So I get that you don't need to fill in a bunch of space, but I also felt like it was used in a way that gave the author an excuse to not put in those extra details, to not kind of put in that natural flow because it was really abrupt. It's like I ran out of things to say next night. Yeah, it was uh, the seventh night, I think, especially was like literally two paragraphs. And I'm also fine with skipping a night, you know, but I I did. It got a little bit like funny almost because you're like, oh, okay, now we're on to the next night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, I guess day doesn't happen in this small murdery town. But yeah, I I thought it was really cool, actually, to have a story that focuses on a love developing over the eight nights of Hanukkah. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. there's something there. And I think that that was a cool idea and a cool thing to go for. I just think that because of the execution, we just didn't get we didn't get the the chemistry and the tension and the development between the two characters. It wasn't particularly believable for me between the two of them. And that's that's what I have to go on here, right? Is yeah, is them. And I just it didn't work. Because I think you can have I actually read a lot of holiday novellas this year because I read this one. I read Once Upon a Christmas Eve for last week. I read one for a Boobies and Newbies episode. And I read two others out of an anthology for my book club. And the first one out of that anthology is quite short, but takes place over one night. 
Mm. one night and they have this really wonderful adventure together. This is the Tessa Dare one of uh, the name escapes me, but it's in the new, the anthology that's been just published in paperback. <laughs> I have to read this for my book club. Oh. <laughs> and well, I, it's delightful. It's, uh, it's one that I particularly like. Yeah. There's some, some silly little elements, but it's a holiday novella. I'm always uh, like, ready to kind of accept a little bit more silliness and holiday magic, shall we say, in a holiday Mm -hmm. novella. But that happens over one night. And then at the end, they don't, uh, spoilers for this novella, everyone, Um, they don't actually get married right at the end of it. They, They do like court afterwards and then they get married but they don't she doesn't highlight any of that you just kind of Mm -hmm. she set up all this tension and excitement between these two characters and this shared mutual thing and then given something believable that they you know they they court regardless she did all of that building in one night right Mm -hmm. and i think so i i think that eight nights is plenty of nights to do it i think that it just missed the mark here Mm -hmm. agreed yeah there was just a lot of assumed things and they're just really For me, that was hard because there just was no, you didn't feel like the characters were drawn to each other. No. They they talk about being drawn to each other, but are missing each other and thinking about them all day. But you don't really feel that between the characters. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of a shame because I'm a little disappointed that I didn't like it more because... I've tried really hard to find Jewish books in the Mm -hmm. Regency, and this is truly that. And I think it's really admirable that she set out here to write a book that was fairly true to history. And I think that that's really cool. It's so great to be writing about this time and these people and the things that they were fighting for or struggling Mm -hmm. with or just doing day to day. And I've been thinking more and more about that with with Regency and Victorian and all these books that I love. You know, some I have a lot of stories in my head and I think maybe one day if I get ambitious enough, I'll write them down. But I, it occurred to me recently that none of these stories in my head feature Jewish characters. They all feature Christian characters. And mm-hmm. I, when I started reading Regency romance, I had absolutely no context whatsoever in my head as to what Christian celebrations and customs were. I'd never heard about Mm -hmm. reading the bands. I, you know, I I, I didn't (laughs) know what that meant. I also didn't know all the customs of the British aristocracy. These are things that by reading and morphing into kind of our own desires for, for what makes a good book, we learn. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a lot missing and it's too bad we aren't seeing what Jewish people or you know ex people are doing at that time period they're there they're happening in fact I was mm-hmm. looking at Hanukkah music and there is a very traditional Hanukkah song called Maoz Tzur if I'm saying it properly and I found a rendition of it that was transcribed I believe by Bernadetta Marcello or Marcello in the 1700s. So like Jewish people were celebrating Mm -hmm. things during this time. They did live in this region of the world during this time. And so I want to see more books written about it. And I think it would be really interesting. Yes, absolutely. And I think that oftentimes, especially in this kind of literature, you overlook the part that um, Jewish citizens really played in the society, you know, in Italian culture where it's very... Catholic, Jews were an essential part of the city because they were not restricted by Catholic dictates about money lending. And you know what? The world functions on people lending money, 100%. They played an instrumental part because 
they were allowed to lend money and big cities need people to lend money Mm -hmm. and move money around. That's just a fact. Yeah. But you have, I can't remember, usury laws. Mm -hmm. Usury laws, which are built on Catholic dictates, stopped Catholics from practicing money lending. And then like later on, they kind of wished around. But like Jewish people had big hands in, in society all over the place. And it was really cool for me to see to see things that I had even just an inkling of knowledge about, right? I was like, oh, Shabbat traditions. Oh, they're doing this. They're doing that. And like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're going to light the menorah and say the prayer. Like, that's cool. And oh, they're talking about the fact that she doesn't do things on Shabbat. She's observant. And like, I found that really interesting. I am not a deeply religious person. I think that's pretty obvious. I've pretty much said that before. But I just think it's cool to see other people doing those things in books. You don't see it anywhere else. And I, I mm-hmm. respect her for writing it and and wanting to put something out there to show that. I think that that's important. Yes. But let's talk about our hero and our heroine specifically. I think we've talked about our general thoughts on yes. the book. So now let's let's dig into those characters. Yeah. So let's start with James. I think that... James is kind of cool. Like, he makes sense to me. He's kind of a big, hulking, brawny guy who has a bit of protector instincts because he's had to raise his sisters. And he's had, what, two years now by himself. So he's kind of gotten a little break. And then he meets this girl who he thinks is beautiful and vibrant. And he falls really quickly for her. And to me, that's believable, right? Like, absolutely. He thinks that he doesn't want anybody and any responsibilities in his life, but really he just needed a little bit of alone time. And then now he wants to have a family of his own. And mm-hmm. so I'm like super into that. I I felt like he was very true to his own character. I did not. <laughs> I did not like that he just like took her to his house and didn't tell her where they were going (laughs) and like thought that that was a good idea. And then like, when it turns out that the surprise was to like show her the stars, I literally wrote some note of like, and really he couldn't freaking tell her that they were going to look at the stars. Like, also, let's be real. It's freaking cold out. It's like they talk about all the blankets, but Scotland is cold and it's winter. So yeah, cold. I mean, Scotland is very cold in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, overall, yeah, I, I think James is fine. I just think that both of the characters were kind of let down by all the explanations um, mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, so, I would give him a five. I can take him or leave him. Cool. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I can take him or leave him as well. He's a five. He's done nothing to offend me. I don't dislike him, but I don't have any other opinions really other than I don't dislike him. I liked, you know, I thought it could have been a more like character. He took care of his sisters and then he went from being a farmer as a kid and like working and then he kind of traded his num like once his sisters were married, he kind of traded his numbers knowledge and ended up into accounting. And now he's got, you know, what seems to be a thriving business if he can afford a cottage and a plot of land all his own. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a self-made man in that sense, which I think is really admirable. But you don't get enough of that to really understand him and under- admire him. It's it's mentioned, yeah. but you don't really feel that growth from there and how he's kind of well because we only see him at night 
<laughs> yeah, true. But and that's but even his own thoughts, because a lot of times you get understanding of characters because of their own thoughts, and his thoughts always go back to his sisters, but he never really mentions like his growth from there and blah blah blah. So yeah, I think he's five. You can take him or leave him. Great. And what do you think about Shoshana? Uh I like her. She's fine. I think she's also a five. Like I I really admire her sticking to like her faith and that being like a really important part and her faith and her customs and her traditions. But I don't like she had the conviction, but at the same time, I think she lacked the conviction. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I judge her a little more harshly than you. So I feel like while James was true to his character, I feel like Shoshana was a little bit all over the place. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like she was very quick to jump to conclusions when she had no reason to. Like, she Mm -hmm. just immediately is like, I can't marry him, like, because he wouldn't want me. And I mean... In a way, like, the marriage thing is her strongest argument because it's, like, she is raised in a world where interfaith marriages don't happen probably very Mm -hmm. often at all. Yeah. And so, like, that I get. But there were just other things, you know, where we got to the children and the this and the that. And it was just – she immediately would just, like, be like, hi, this this could never be when nothing – in his behavior had ever pushed down that path. You know what I mean? So I felt like she just was like inside her own head and and it wasn't a characteristic that I liked. I didn't, I didn't like it also as a device to drive the story forward. I felt Mm -hmm. like they actually in all of those places could have had a different conversation and gotten the same result and it, and it would have been more rewarding as a reader. Agreed. I also thought, it was kind of crazy. She was very damselly in moments. And then at the end of the day, she like saves the day by yes. throwing the, <laughs> but, the vase yeah. and throwing the boiling water, which was, you know, before never mentioned. But yeah, happened no, to we be didn't there. know she was boiling water on the stove. Like, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so in that respect, I was just like, who is this girl? I mean, like I also did appreciate that at the end she wasn't a damsel because I prefer to see women who have some confidence, but it did feel a bit incongruous with the Shoshana I'd seen before that was so self-doubting and so woe is me that all of a sudden she's like, I'm going to save the day. So Mm -hmm. for me, she's a four just because I didn't like her. So That's fair. Yeah. I was kind of meh about her. I agree with all the points about her being like back and forth and I was thinking, I'm like, okay, she's just going to be the damsel it's fine not the end of the world and then it changes differently yeah so i i'm still gonna stick with the five Mm -hmm. i get why you didn't like her and i fully support you not liking her i just really couldn't have cared less about her so she's a five so it's just like meh (laughs) so how about a favorite or least favorite quote do you have something you'd like to share let me see. I highlighted a bunch of things. Um, a couple of the quotes that I read out, I think, were some of my favorite ones. I felt like they they were the ones that moved the story along. I also read out some I didn't like so much as well because, you know, the author made a choice here that I disagreed with the writing. So I wanted to mm-hmm. say it in her words rather than summarize in mine. But Kelsey, you've got something that you did or didn't like that you want to share. Oh, I, I didn't understand it. 
So this is hard to see because you're not reading it, but and I'm just going to speak it and then I'm going to explain to you why it was weird. So the line is, a swish of air and a tinkle of a small bell alerted her of another customer. Now, I've highlighted this because swish and tinkle are italicized. Oh. And I don't understand why. <laughs> I I actually remember reading that scene because I was so confused as to what was happening. I read it like three times because I was like, wait, huh? I, I, that's like someone was entering the store, but it was like very confusing. So. Yes, I, but I didn't understand the italicized. Like, I get that you're like the verbs. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why the verbs need to be highlighted, especially in context of that sentence, because this isn't a very important sentence either. This is just a sentence. And yet she has like made the choice to italicize. And I don't know if that was just like a, an I, editor didn't catch it or what, but I was very confused and I highlighted it and I wrote a note. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm trying to decide which I want to share because there's it's, it's very hard because so many of these these things feel not as jarring out of context. But a lot of the time, I think what I noticed is that like some of the sentence structures were also so short and abrupt, just like mm. the thoughts that were happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, there, there were just a couple like little sentences, you know, where it was like, warm nights coming home to cuddle under blankets came to mind. And I was just like, eh. especially in this, in the paragraph that it was in, it was just so abrupt. And there, there was another point where she was just like, where James was about to leave. And it says, Shoshana's shoulders dipped. Perhaps she was disappointed to see him go. Anticipation flared in his chest. Like, three-word sentence, then a six-word sentence, a seven-word sentence, and then a five-word sentence. And it was just mm. all of these very like, da 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 and so it just the the cadence of the book just didn't have a, a mature rhythm to it. Yes, and I I will say like I highlighted a few lines that sounded a bit more mature. Mm-hmm. So like you did have those, and I agree those were very simplistic, and it it kind of wrecked the cadence because especially they'd be thrown in with something like the glow was like a beacon and he wanted to turn in, knock on the door and drink in the sight of the bonny brown eyes. But it wasn't just that. Shoshana loved who she was and where she'd come from. Her quiet confidence and sense of self drew him to her. And like, that's great. That's that's a couple sentences, but it's it's beautiful. And I it's also really highlighted nice. that one. Yeah, there were moments. I I have a couple yeah. that I highlighted and said this is better writing, or or this is cute, or this is sweet. So it wasn't all like the the things that we were frustrated with. And I think almost in some ways, when you have those good moments, it makes it a little bit more frustrating as a reader because you're yes. like, no, like this, this one. like Yeah, I like this thing, but yeah. then we go to this thing and I don't – Yeah. Because like that beautiful line was then followed by my random italicized verbs and I was like, I don't – why are these italicized? I this know, is, taking away from the good. This is not an important good. sentence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's move on to our steaminess rating. What would you call this one? I would say this is like putting your tea in the cup and realizing you never turned the kettle on. Yeah. What boiling water, right? Because I have an electric kettle and every once in a while I think I've turned it on and I haven't. And then I pour the water and I'm like, and I put the tea bag in and nothing happens. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. This water is cold. (laughs) Yeah, it's cold water. There was just no tension between the two of them. It was a lot of 
I want this man, but he's a different religion than me, so I can't want him, but I want him. Did I mention how I want him? And then there was there was the encounter. And yeah, the encounter, I had some major problems with it. It's not particularly long. It's actually more no. detailed than I thought it would be. I thought we were going to have a fade to black. I really did. Did you? I think it would have been better if it was a fade to black. I I think it was an unnecessary amount of detail for like the lack of tension that led to it. I can't agree more. So <laughs> there were just like things and like... It says she explored until she'd noticed he'd stilled. Did I do something wrong? She asks. Nay, lass, not at all. And then he just keeps going. Why did that even? Why did? Why did it happen? Why did, why did he why, still? I wondered why he stilled, and I'm like, I don't. I, she's touching his like she's touching like his leg or something, yeah. and he stilled, and it's like, but ah, oh. uh, mm. and then oh no, and then it goes into oh, I was almost uncomfortable with like the descriptor, yeah, like as it went forward, I was a bit uncomfortable. I was like, and eh, luckily this is over. No, We're done. I'm gonna read it. I'm sorry, everybody, but I oh. think that this is important. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm skipping uh, one paragraph, but he slowly okay. entered her. She tightened her grip on his side as a moment of pain racked her. It faded, and then the completeness of him filling her brought her back to the moment. And I just wrote, I am very stressed at the lack of development in chemistry. Like, I was really upset by that moment. I was like, yeah. why? Like, I was, instead of being excited, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, like, stop. Like, oh, and the pain racked her. And I'm like, why are you so in so much pain? Like, and then it racked her. And then it just went away. Immediately, because she's I'm full of like, him. And I just, um, I'm uh, mm -mm. still thinking, like, like, she just doesn't know what's going. I just didn't, no. I didn't feel comfortable. And I yeah. don't think that the author did anything malicious in this scene. I just think no. that there, she, she let herself down because they just had, they didn't actually have any tension up to this point. Agreed. And the thing is, the reason why you can have like graphic sex scenes in these romance novels and why they work and why you like them is because you feel with the characters and you want to get that completion. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to like be with them in that moment to that coupling of that relationship. But in this, like there was just no, you didn't feel the characters building towards each other. So it wasn't like this crescendo moment. It was like they sprinted across the line really fast, you know? Yeah, a few few quick thrusts and again yeah. you get to the end of their coupling and he has to tell us how amazing it was by literally saying that was amazing and then she agrees and my note there is I don't because <laughs> I was so I really was just stressed and I again I just was like I was bummed because I wanted it to be to be better but I agree with you. I think in this case, if they had faded to black and woken up the next morning together, I would have found it a little bit sweeter. Yes. Because agreed. I didn't think yeah, I was ready for it. I would have kind of laughed it off a little bit the same way as I would have when they brought the the villain back. Yeah. Well, how they ended that scene, how they just were like, and they took him to the magistrates and... He yeah. was locked up forever. Yeah. And that was it. Um, mm -hmm. it the, the line is, the authorities assured them that Gordon would never again see the light of day. And it was like, okay, there's that boat and over there. And <laughs> I feel like that's how I would have felt if we'd had the fade to black scenes. So, yes. 
Okay. Feminist recap. How do we feel about that? I just, I'm still so thankful and happy that someone took the time to write about a Jewish person in the Regency falling in love. Mm-hmm. Even though it's interfaith, I think that that's really a, actually a cool aspect with the fact that he had, had witnessed some some of the same strife that she had in his own religion, and he's a high, you know he's a Highlander. We love we love that, right? Yeah. So I, I feel like that that's like a point um, for feminism, right? For doing something different and showing a different perspective, and you know I think that that's really cool and admirable. I don't think that the character is particularly um, the character just is all over the place. So I kind of feel like she's neutral. I would say neutral too, but I feel like the sex scene kind of sucks and isn't. But I don't think that has any bearing on the feminism. I think yeah. it was consenting sex, and I think that yeah. like. I found it unnecessary of a scene. It didn't read well, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. And like, and her characters, I like that she addresses the things like, okay, how do you feel about marrying someone? How do you feel about marrying outside the faith? How do you want to raise your kids? Like, I think all those are very good things. But yeah, she was all over the place. So I don't think it was any way, it was no way offensive. Yeah, I agree. But I couldn't really say it was a strong supporter either. I'm just firmly in the like, it's fine. It's neutral. I think this one falls under neutral. I really do. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend mm-hmm. this to someone as a, a text on on feminism, shall we say. <laughs> there you go. So finally, we have come to our final book rating. Okay. I'm going to give it like a three and a half. All right. Care to extrapolate? Yeah, because I, I, I wanted to like it and I, wanna, I really want to give it like a solid five. But I'm not going to lie, I got like through night two and I was like, thank God Zoe told me this was short because I don't know if I could finish it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I want to finish it. I want to support it. I'm all for it. I love the tidbits I learned from it. Mm-hmm. Like I liked the like because there were some little history things I didn't even know, you know, yeah. and like I thought that was really good. I loved the author's note at the beginning and just explaining it. I'm all for it. I liked the premise of it, but overall, the execution just really left me wanting something more. I I really agree. I would give this one a like a slightly higher, just because my like my excitement that someone is going and doing something that other people aren't haven't done yet, really, and trying mm-hmm. to and and trying to do that, and and I think that. You know, she set out to write a novella about a Jewish person in the Regency. And that's, again, admirable. So for me, mm-hmm. it's a 4.5. Okay. I think it's not – I couldn't take it or leave it. I want to leave this one. I wish this was like a writing prompt. A Highlander and mm-hmm. a Jewish shop owner's daughter meet and fall in love over Hanukkah. Wouldn't that be such a cool book if like that was the prompt and so every story had that same those same characteristics of like a Highlander and a Jewish girl. Yeah. Even it could be the opposite. A Jewish man could meet a Highland woman, you know? Like yeah. All you have to have is Jewish person, Highland person and they meet over Hanukkah in Scotland. And then have a bunch of different writers take that story and, like, see their takes on it. Yeah. That would be really cool. And it could be essays. It could be, like, you could have short. You could have long. I I wish more people would do it. And, like, that would be so cool. So maybe, maybe I'll start 
in my mental rotation of stories in my head, I'll start trying to think of one too, because, you know, if you're going to challenge the world, you got to take on the challenge yourself, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. so I, I, again, like really applaud the author here for for doing that. And I really want to reward her much higher, but I completely agree. The execution didn't work for me. The quality of the writing left me wanting more and the characters just didn't have development intention like I was looking for. So Mm -hmm. that's why the book gets the writing that it does. But I just, I really want more books like this. So we have to talk about books like this. We have to write books like this. We have to get better at writing books like this. So I'm just, I am also still very appreciative of the author, not only Laurieann Bailey, but the whole group that did this anthology for saying they want to write more about Jewish people falling in love. That's really cool. Absolutely. And we want to see more of you. So keep on trucking, y'all. Absolutely. So that's thank you very much to everyone. However, we have reached the end of our podcast today, and we've actually recorded our final podcast for the year. Whoa. Look at us, Zoe. We've gotten this far. We got to do holiday specials. How exciting. I know. It's been so much fun. And we can't wait to keep doing more, but we're taking a short break over the holidays because that's a busy time, everybody. It's way too busy. Way too busy. And our next episode will be coming at you guys on January 2nd. So right after the new year, starting 2020 off with a bang. And I don't get to ask you what we're reading next time, Kelsey. Because we're not. No. So we will pick that up in our next episode. Cliffhanger. (laughs) But if you want to be the first to know, you can sign up for our email list on our website because they always get to know a little bit in advance of everybody else. So happy holidays. Hag Sameach to everyone. Hanukkah Sameach. So I hope everyone has a lovely time with their family. Yes. Happy holidays. Enjoy this new year and this rebirth into a new decade. Woo! Heading into that new decade. So it is definitely a time to shed our old skin and wake up new and refreshed. I love it. (laughs) I am very excited for everything that 2020 can bring. Yes. So thank you for listening and join us in the new year. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. There's some sort of shoosh. I can hear it. I don't know why you're yelling. The door is open. I didn't lock it. He thinks. I don't know. He thinks the door is locked. I don't know. <laughs> so cute. So she he understands. There's some sort of religious understanding in the sense of not being allowed to practice your faith as you wish you could. I'm sorry. I don't know why the cat is yelling. (laughs) The cat's gone to go yell at John. I don't know why he's yelling. (laughs) I can hear him in the room. (laughs) Sorry. I just think it's funny. Now my dog Um, is barking up a storm. What is going on? Oh, no. (laughs) And then there's Daisy who's just sleeping. (laughs) The best of them all.
The menorah looks lovely. I'm glad you had your... I can't do the Scottish accent. I'm going to... <laughs> I'm glad you had your, your faith, faith to keep you That's company. too Irish. Yeah. <laughs> okay.